We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Thursday edition of the RotoWire NFL podcast. It's Joe Bartle filling in for John McKechnie. And before we break down what is going to be an interesting show with Mario discussing my 35 round best ball draft, I know Mario did one earlier this week and as well uh, as some of the Calvin Harmon news and his injury relating to the uh, receiving core for Washington. I do want to get a word from our sponsors, Dynasty Owner. I've been looking for a new challenge, which is why I'm playing Dynasty Owner Fantasy Football this season. Dynasty Owner Fantasy Football unites the fun and excitement of fantasy football with the skill and strategy of the front office. Dynasty Owner is the only way to play fantasy football with real NFL salaries, adding the strategy of running an NFL franchise. Dynasty Owner provides a unique challenge for diehard fantasy football fanatics out there. Go to DynastyOwner.com slash RotoWare. Leagues are forming now. It's DynastyOwner.com slash RotoWare. We've all been in leagues where the winner just gets lucky. If you're like me, 
and know you're better than most people, Dynasty Owner gives you the platform to prove it. I'm excited to be a part of my own Dynasty Owner League, and Dynasty Owner favors skilled players who can manage their roster using real NFL salaries within the salary cap. It adds an entirely new level strategy. Go to DynastyOwner.com slash Validate your fantasy football skills. And one more time, DynastyOwner.com slash All right, so... Uh, with that being said, Mario, it's great to be in the podcast with you again. I'm subbing in for John yet again. It feels like uh, it's becoming a bit of a uh, well. I don't. I don't want to say a common thing. I mean, he's on vacation. That's that's a good thing. More of a John just be- runs off, and people have to. <laughs> you know, it's like someone notices his cage is empty. And like who let John out? And then you have to you know deal with the mess that results. And and we appreciate you you know doing doing that part like a good soldier you are i feel like i have to mention this every time i'm on the podcast but john was the one who did it this time around uh he tweeted about his mustache did you see that tweet where he removed his mask and the guy was like oh i was not expecting that mustache oh yeah tsa (laughs) put him in a special database because he had a weird mustache they thought and that i would do the same if i were them that's the best way to describe john's mustache right now that if you were at tsa and then remove the the mask that someone would say oh i was not expecting that mustache it's it's a it's a very healthy looking one and i'm very jealous of it uh now, I feel like I got my, my facial hair quota out of the way already early in this podcast, but I just thought it was amusing because he was the one that brought up himself on Twitter. It wasn't just me this time. Yeah, I guess it was one of those things like the mask came down and the, the tasers came out, but it, it all was diffused safely with, <laughs> thanks to the you know the professionalism of, of those present, and that includes John, of course. Yes, yes. Thank you to everyone out there that is uh, well, well-being for John and his mustache as he is on vacation for this week. All right, so of course there's a lot going on. Uh, in the NFL sphere, not necessarily related to the NFL. Uh, but we do have an injury-related news that I think bears, were, bears mentioning. Uh, Calvin Harmon is going to be out for the season now. I think it was out for the season, right? Like they, there wasn't mm-hmm. any yep. like, related. Oh, Torn ACL, yeah. it's not happening. Okay, good. I just want to make sure that we're not going to be like, oh, yeah, maybe later on he could play again. Okay, so Calvin Harmon's out for their season, torn ACL. It leaves – Washington vulnerable when it comes to the pass catchers. We know we have Terry McLaurin around, but then after that, I I don't know. It's it's not it's not a pretty picture. But you made the case in your Stockwatch article earlier this week that maybe a guy like Stephen Sims or even Antonio Gandy Golden uh, has a chance or opportunity to do more with those op- with those reps that Harmon's going to be leaving. Yeah, I am actually more optimistic about Washington's receivers than maybe most people are because. It's at once one of those understandable things where you look at, you know, the the draft pedigree of everyone involved and you look at McLaurin, third round, Stephen Sims, undrafted, Kelvin Harmon, sixth round, uh, even Gandy Golden, very late fourth. He was a compensatory pick in the fourth round. So, you know, 12 years ago or whenever they started before they started jamming compensatory picks at the end of all the, the final four rounds, that would have been a fifth round pick. So these, these are not guys who were selected high. But in Terry McLaurin's case, it was just a mistake. I mean, the guy's clearly a monstrously good receiver. He'll be an elite wide receiver one. I have no question about that. But with Calvin Har- Harmon out, like that's that's depriving them of their second outside receiver. While also Harmon was probably going to be their swing backup for Sims in the slot. So Sims is the slot specialist. McLaurin's outside. Harmon was mostly outside, but whenever Sims needed a breather we had reason to believe Harmon would be on the field this year in the slot. So as much as this 
might seem like kind of a slow news week kind of story. It really isn't because Calvin Harmon's a, a pretty interesting prospect. He was a dominant player at North Carolina State, even though he was playing there with an age uh, disadvantage. He was carrying the volume of that passing game while also outproducing the efficiency of the offense besides him. So that's a guy like when you do that and when you do that with an age disadvantage, especially it usually indicates that you at least have some skill, like you know how to play wide receiver and that's definitely the case with Harmon because we know he wasn't winning from his athleticism. At the combine, he at 6'3", 221, ran a 4'640", had brutal jumps, brutal agility drills. It made him fall from a second and third round consensus prospect to the sixth round, in, in the late sixth round, I want to say even. So I was probably one of those people who overreacted to the combine because it was it was just one of those combines where it was so bad that you were – you were looking back in the in the history of the combine the past 10 years or something. And it's like, when's the last time a good player had workout numbers this bad at receiver? And you can find extreme anomalies like Antonio Brown or something like that, where he didn't test that good. And then of course was a great player, but you're still talking, you know, one out of hundreds type odds, things like that. However, I should have paid more. I should have put more stock into the fact that, again, Harmon carried the volume of the North Carolina State passing game and he outplayed the efficiency of it. So he caught a higher percentage of his targets for more yards per target than the rest of the offense around him, even though he was the guy who, who defenses knew they had to worry about. They, they knew it. They couldn't stop him anyway. So last year, even at, he's a 21 year old rookie, six round pick. So the. So the Washington coaches had no real reason to give him any favoritism. They didn't they didn't have any reason to look at him and think like, oh, we got to get him on the field because, you know, the GM is going to be on us if we don't. But he got out there in large part because Paul Richardson got hurt and Trey Quinn was just awful as the initial slot receiver uh, where he was replaced by Stephen Sims eventually. But uh, Richardson's absence forced Harmon really onto the field uh, basically as a three down player in those final six weeks or so. And he finished the year with 493 snaps, drawing 44 targets. He caught more than 68% of his targets at 8.3 yards per target in a Washington passing game that was not good at all. It was uh, trying to find the their baseline here, um, but I, I want to say they were comp- they were averaging like seven yards per pass or something. So for Harmon to go in into the year at an age disadvantage, at an institutional favoritism disadvantage as a six-round pick who they you know probably didn't go into the year caring about a whole lot, this is impressive stuff that he did. Uh, even though he didn't score any touchdowns, it's like he, he played better than, than the team did generally, and that's, that's with him just being at an age disadvantage. So he's probably going to get better since he's so young. Uh, unfortunately, this ACL tear, of course, sets him back a year. But I actually think uh, there's there's reason to buy Harmon in Dynasty if someone who owns him is thinking. And then I've seen analysis to this, to this kind of thought pattern where people are saying, oh, no, he's a six-round pick. Six-round picks who missed the season in their second season only, you know, 12% of the time come back to make the team or something. And – Clearly, Harmon is one of those, whatever the percentage is that, that that it turns out good for. Like, he's one of those guys. He's already beaten the odds. He's too good to just disappear over an ACL tear at 22 years old. It's just it's not happening. But in the meantime, Washington is really short on wide receiver reps because now they don't have a backup slot guy for Sims. And the wide receiver two behind the, the outside wide receiver two, I should say, opposite McLaurin almost needs to be now the fourth round rookie pick, Antonio Gandy-Golden, who is uh, – making the jump from Liberty, which was not even in the FCS uh, or sorry, was not in the FBS as of two years ago. So uh, we've seen Antonio Gandy golden produce against big college teams. 
but he hasn't played against many of them. So he he might get a little bit of a shock with a, with the level of competition jump. I don't remember hearing the greatest things about him at the Senior Bowl. So that might have been just that showing up, like the jumping competition might have been a little rough on him. But he's going to have to play, since Steven Sims is mostly a slot specialist and therefore generally needs a three-wide set to get on the field, Antonio Gandy-Golden might actually play more snaps than Sims this year just uh, for, for when they're in a two-wide balanced set and especially if they're running the ball 6'4 223 Gandy Golden is even bigger than Harmon and, and offers an interesting new dimension to the offense you look at some of the pass catchers that that they have like you you've been high on Steven Sims as that really late round guy what's his ADP right now after this injury to Harmon I have to imagine it's going to rise but are people really that interested in the Redskins passing attack as is I don't think they were. Yeah, I mean, you you even see some people who are skeptical of McLaurin, to whom I I would just say, watch the guy's tape. He's he's insane. He's really good. Um, But Sims, I was usually the one pushing him. And most I feel like if I hadn't been drafting all this time, his ADP might have been substantially lower yet. But um, I would always take him in like the 20th round if he was there. Sometimes I I would not pick him because someone else would at that 19, 18 round range because maybe I uh, maybe I took Paris Campbell or something as my wide receiver six. And I'm like, okay, I got to get another. I need to get my running back six. I need to get my my tight end three, whatever quarterback three, whatever situation I'm in, I guess, defenses I might be taking. Um, But Sims is a guy I am fully comfortable selecting it on every single team of mine at his current price because he's so cheap he was he's going in the 20th round he'd go undrafted in a lot of drafts that i wasn't in i see basically no way he 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 returns any less than something like a 15th round value and i think something upwards of 80 receptions is totally in play with him which i know that sounds insane but i'm mostly just basing it on what he did last year like what he did especially in those last four or five weeks last year and even before that, he was making plays like before they before they let him on the field, before Trey Quinn got hurt and before they said, oh, man, this Trey Quinn guy is not very good. And they gave Sims that shot. He was forcing his way onto the field with, uh, you know, the, he would he would make plays in training camp, I'm assuming plays in practice because you get into the games and, and he'd he'd show up. He, he'd, first of all, he'd be active on game days. That's that's good enough of a sign for for an undrafted guy out of Kansas who no one was talking about in the preseason or the spring or the summer and yet they go into week one and they they somewhere on their little game plan sheet it says we got to get Sims on the field um sorry not week one but they, they got him on the field week two with five snaps on those five snaps he gets uh three carries and a target so four out of five snaps the ball goes straight to him they wrote the play for him that was in week two so you get that 65-yard touchdown run against the Patriots in Week 5. You get the kick return against the Lions in Week 12. They finally pull the plug on Quinn. And Sims pulls in on 37 snaps, 4 targets. On 46 snaps, 7 targets. On 37 snaps, 11. On 53 snaps, 10. On 39 snaps, 8. So he's he's doing all this as a pass catcher. He already made plays as a runner. And they were, they were giving him carries every so often too. So that's kind of interesting. He, he might be like their jet sweep guy if they have some sort of function like that in the offense. But again, Sims is only something like 5'9", 180, maybe 5'10", 180. And if you're a slot receiver, you often are at risk of, of going to the sideline in the two wide set. So I'm not projecting more than 650, 700 snaps for Sims. But 
when you have 56 targets on 314 snaps, you also don't need to go over that 750. Like you're, you're getting thrown to when you're on the field. So it kind of works itself out or so I hope. I just don't know how many two wide receiver sets they're really running this season. Like the best case scenario for Washington is that they're winning games 17, 13, right? 20, 20 well, that 17. defense, exactly. that defense could be, no, that defense could be pretty nasty. So um, I'm a little concerned about Sims maybe getting into some scripts where Washington just isn't really throwing the ball until right. the second half. Right. Um, so that that is a limitation thing, but that's something that would make me worry if I had to pay up in like the 14th round or something. When you're talking like 17th, 18th round at the earliest, I just don't care. I think it's pretty clearly that's the case that Sims has been misunderstood, overlooked, etc. I, I think people, once they look at him, they'll see, oh, I should have looked before now. No, I, I agree with you. And I think that defense could be really good. And it's one of the reasons why I'm not as high on Dak Prescott as maybe you are. And we're going to get to that a little bit later in the podcast. I, I think that the only way they're going to end up winning is off that defense. But how realistic is the defense going to be able to carry them? I don't know. So they struggle a little bit uh, throughout the first half. Maybe a team gets ahead of them right away. You're forced to have to pass. And the two tight ends you set they're talking about, it's not like they have a lot of great tight ends to begin with, although I am a little bit bullish on Logan Thompson or Logan, Logan Thomas, I should say. I just like there has to be somebody else besides McLaurin that's catching the passes. And, and that's where I'm yeah. all in with you on Sims. I agree completely. Yeah, it, again, it would be a different thing if he were getting hype, pushing him to the, like the 12th round. But when I make my not exactly optimistic projections f- for the offense of, of Washington's, I see Sims is worth something like that. I'm, I'm never going to pay it because I never have to. I'm still I'm still getting Sims as my wide receiver six, wide receiver seven exclusively. Like I never get him higher than that, but I don't need to. I, I can I can always wait toward the end and get this guy who. I think, you know, b- people might try to say it's it's because of the Harmon injury, but I don't even think it's that. It's that McLaurin is a monstrous wide receiver one. Like, he can draw targets at a high per snap rate running any kind of field depth. He can run deep downfield. He's getting thrown to. He can run intermediate. They're going to throw to him. Some receivers are more like Sims. Like, they can only get thrown to underneath. But Sims gets thrown to constantly underneath. Harmon was kind of in between them both. Like, he was better in the intermediate. He didn't really have the speed to push deep the way that McLaurin could. And so he couldn't draw targets as fast underneath as Sims or or as fast going deep as McLaurin. And he would have been left with, I think, kind of the scraps of those two anyway. So I I don't think that Harmon leaving the offense actually improves much or anything for Sims. I think it mostly just helps Antonio Gandy-Golden and Hurts. Dwayne Haskins a little bit uh but yeah I'm not even I'm not raising Sims in my rankings I I guess that's probably maybe that's just because I already had him too high who knows right yeah that's fair the other pass catcher out of this group that I thought it it was at least worth discussing you didn't really mention much in the in the job battles and, and rightfully so but I'm curious again in my in my mental game script the defense ends up winning the games if they can't they're going to have to pass a lot. A guy like Antonio Gibson, uh, who's being classified as a running back, but also another rookie draft pick for Washington this year, I feel like he has to make a difference. Not that Darius guys can't catch passes, but they seem Washington seems to want to use these guys in different roles and different capacities. That's why they have the McKissicks and, and Peyton Barbers also on the roster. But Gibson was drafted, and they have value invested towards him to be that pass-catching option. Could he maybe factor in as the third or fourth uh, guy uh, from Washington? 
Antonio Gibson is an important part of the Washington offense, the, the question of the Washington offense this year. I know a lot of people are th- trying to say, like, oh, he might play receiver. I don't see it. I think he's going to play running back who does more receiving functions than most running backs. But I don't think he will he will play proper wide receiver. When I think of replacing Harmon, I think of Antonio Gandy-Golden in the fourth round rather than Antonio Gibson in the, in the third. But Darius Geis is at best unproven as a pass catcher. And there's reason to believe he's not a good route runner. Like He's, he's probably not a route running option. It, to the extent that you can use Geis as a pass catcher, it might be more from very script, very manufactured, scripted plays like screen pass setups where you, you're getting blockers in front of him and it's kind of like a just extended handoff, shovel passing him the ball kind of thing. You don't want him splitting out. You don't want him trying to run a slant or something. Gibson can do stuff like that, though. And Gibson, more specifically, did not really play running back at Memphis. He got, I think, only 33 carries last year, and they all seemed to occur in the last six or seven games. Before that, he had literally zero carries in his college career, and he was a senior last year. So he's raw as a runner, but I think he has to move to running back because as much as he played receiver before that and as much as he was doing well as a receiver, he doesn't really have a quick release off the line. Like I don't think he'll even really get into his routes if he's going against skilled defensive backs, like they, they might be able to kind of just like jam him up at the line of scrimmage. Um, and he, he kind of takes a, a few steps to get his speed in play. And he has a lot of speed. He has more speed than guys. Um, I think the four, three, nine or the four, three, eight is what Gibson ran at six foot two twenty eight. So he's a big back, even though he's one of the fastest backs in the league. The difference is he doesn't quite have that, like that just burst. I don't think anyway, like guys, guys has the burst guys is a guys is one of those people who he's just, born to play running back like he's born to just run over and around people who are trying to catch him whereas gibson's a guy who you can you can imagine being more of like a sprinter than than guys maybe not as good at uh escaping a gauntlet you know drill with with 10 guys trying to tackle him at once but if it's a race yeah he'll win and if you can give him a little space as an offense he can he can maybe take it better than guys can but i think what you're going to see happen is washington looks to guys and Adrian Peterson to carry the actual ball like from behind the tackles and they get Gibson out there. He'll, he'll split out wide a fair amount. Like, don't get me wrong. He'll, he'll see snaps, but it'll, I think be from the running back position motioning out so that he's on a linebacker or a safety or running against zone coverage uh, rather than putting him up against, you know, press man coverage or something like that. Cause if you watch his Memphis tape, he's, he seems pretty slow off the line and it doesn't matter because no one plays press in college football and the defenses that he's going against aren't so great. So it ends up just being huge, fast guy runs away from people smaller and slower than him. But in the NFL, it won't be quite that. I think he'll be good eventually, but with the, the short off season and him basically changing positions, I'm a little worried about it being kind of like a Jalen Samuels thing where uh, Jalen Samuels was a really good college player at North Carolina State and he was notably like the goal line runner for North Carolina state, but he was more so their tight end and kind of like a slot receiver. So he's a really good athlete and he's a really good pass catcher. Still, he gets to the NFL and he he doesn't quite see out of the backfield the way some other more polished running backs have been. And maybe the light will go on one day for Samuels, but like maybe he looked raw as a runner just because he didn't get the practice at running back that, that other running backs do because other running backs don't have to play receiver and tight end. But that's something that I, I think it's a little bit of a risk for Gibson having something like that. Like he's a great athlete. We know he can do it. We've seen him run. We know he's he's got a lot to work with. 
but he might just kind of need some time to, to, to sharpen his game and, and maybe the circumstances being as they are, he, he might not exactly get it, but don't get me wrong. You get that guy at football, he, he can run and he can, he can run over people. So uh, to the extent that they can get him acclimated to the offense, he should be able to contribute. I just see it more as guys is kind of like the rushing specialist and Gibson, uh, assuming he's okay with like blitz pickup and stuff like that probably gets a lot more targets than guys. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I, I just keep projecting the best-case scenario for Washington, and they're winning with their defense, and they could. I mean, they have some really, really good guys there, and I think they're one of the more under-the-radar under, under the radar defenses at the moment. But if that best-case doesn't happen, who steps up on the offensive end? And and it's very possible, and we kind of saw it towards the end of last year, there's a handful of pass catchers that, that can do some things. Steven Sims is chief among them. But I still think that it, especially with this Kelvin Harmon injury, you can make a, taste, a case for Gandy Golden, but also Gibson as two guys that could benefit if yeah. the defense is able to do well. I like Antonio Gibson at his current price because it's like, you know, guys has that injury history. Peterson's just going to, you know, fall off one day. Uh, could have already happened. So Gibson might get forced onto the field, even if he's not ready. And if he is fast guy who catches passes is, you know, even if he's raw, he could still be good in fantasy football. But yeah, as far as Gandy Golden specifically goes, I thought it was kind of, int- I thought it was kind of unfair rather that he fell to the late fourth round in this draft, because I just don't know what he does that isn't, uh, like the selling points from uh, Michael Pittman and T Higgins, it, it's pretty hard to argue for those two without ar- also arguing for Gandy Golden. Uh, he played at a lower competition level at Liberty, but y- you got cases in Gandy Golden's profile, which at, at 6'4", 223, he ran a 4640, which isn't good, but he gets open on tape downfield and he had a really good vertical, a really good broad jump, even though he's a huge receiver. So I think he might play a little faster than his 40 time implies. And you got cases as far as the level of competition, you got cases like as a true sophomore, the first game of his true sophomore season back in 2017, which was the first game at Baylor for newly hired head coach, Matt rule. Who's, who's of course now the, the Panthers head coach in, in Matt rules. First game as the Baylor head coach playing at home, Uh, Waco or wherever they play Liberty comes to town Liberty is projected to lose by 32 and a half points for this game they end up winning 48 to 45 basically because of Gandy Golden he he had 22 targets in that game and he caught 13 for 192 yards and two touchdowns so he did that as a true sophomore his first game as a true sophomore and you know that doesn't mean that he's going to turn out to be good but i think in the context of his other production at, at liberty which was huge he had three big years carrying their entire passing game outplaying the efficiency baseline of the offense while doing so so he could be kind of interesting like maybe best case scenario kind of like chargers mike williams but he's a little heavier and probably a little slower than mike williams which it it it, that might be a problem. It also might not be a problem because Gandy Golden's interesting because he has some bully to him too. Like he'll he'll be a downfield catch the ball on the sideline, tall receiver one second, and then three guys try to tackle him and they all just kind of fall off of him and he runs away for a touchdown. So he could be a problem after the catch, even if he's a guy who doesn't really run away from people in races. Yeah, I'm pointing out that's that Big Twelve defense for you with the the upset to Baylor or Baylor losing to to Liberty. But I I, I agree with you on on everything you're saying. And, and for for as much as we want to give uh, problems to Washington for other things, and rightfully so, I do think their offense is going to be something I want to monitor at least leading up to draft season. And yeah, especially with how people draft this year and everything weird that's happening and going on. 
you can get some real value if you target one of these offenses offenses that you don't think is good, like you wouldn't imagine would go off, but does. And especially in such a weird season compared to other years, why not try to find that value in those later rounds? And, and Washington's offense makes a lot of sense for me. Yeah, I like Sims as a late round pick in best ball and redraft both. It's like sometimes sometimes in best ball you don't want to take on those super risky guys late because a total zero in your lineup really can hurt, especially once injuries hit late in the year. But I feel like Sims has a high floor too. It's like there's just no conceivable way that Washington throws, I don't know, 30 passes without him getting something like five targets it's just it's out of the question that he does less than that unless he's off the field and if he's healthy he will be on the field it's just not even a question and to to think sims is not worth his current price i feel like someone would need to project the washington offense to throw for like 2900 yards or something it's just i think people aren't thinking it through right would you still draft him in in a standard league not ppr i mean that's where i see Uh, probably not standards a little different i guess um I think Sims will score something like four or five touchdowns if, okay. in a 16-game right. sample. But I don't expect him to average like 14 yards a catch or anything. Like He's, he's always going to be an underneath receiver. Right. He's always going to be a guy who needs to work for his yardage after the catch. But I think he's really good at it because he, he he loses people with his jukes. He's, he's got burst. Like he's not fast, but he, he hits his top speed while the so-called faster guy is still like winding up trying to close the gap between them. So he creates that little room for himself. And then, and then he's, it's like trying to swat a gnat or something, which, you know, you, you can corner it maybe, but actually getting your hands on it and catching it is a different question. Yeah. I'm right there with you. And Washington's offense is definitely gonna be one to monitor, uh, throughout the lead up to draft season. Well, I want to get to the 30 round 35 round mock or mock draft. I did an actual best ball draft. Um, in a little bit, and one you also partook in later or earlier this past month, but I do want to get a word in from our sponsors, FanDraft. Take your league's fantasy football draft to the next level of FanDraft, the online fantasy football draft board. FanDraft makes your draft feel like the actual NFL draft with features such as streaming ticker, live draft clock, custom logos, team walk-up songs, multiple draft board displays, and more. FanDraft can also be used offline for in-person drafts by exporting the display via projector onto a large screen TV for the league to enjoy. You can also use it fully online, and any number of your leagues can join the draft remotely. You can perform traditional auction and or traditional and auction style drafts. FanDraft also supports IDPs, rookie-only drafts, keepers, and just about any customization you can imagine for your league requirements. You can sign up for a free trial at Fandraft.com, and when you're ready to order the pro account, make sure to use promo code ROTOPOD15 to save 15% off your purchase. Again, that's Fandraft.com, and use promo code ROTOPOD15 to save 15% for that pro account. All right, so with that underway, I do want to talk a little bit about that 35-round best ball draft that I did, and actually, I I was inspired to partake in this, and this is my, I think, second best ball that I've done because of the article and podcast that you and John did earlier this month or even was it in june actually i think it might have been yeah it's been a few weeks already uh who who can remember how time (laughs) works anymore exactly it might have been yesterday i might be wrong i don't know (laughs) no i think i think you're right it was a few weeks from now but it feels like it was yesterday because i've been basing a lot of my analysis around it in that draft I haven't left the room that I made those picks it <laughs> since then, so that it feels like it might have been more recent than, yeah. There wasn't a lot of NFL news that changed, so I entered that draft trying to rep- or trying to replicate a similar strategy that you did. And as the listeners are going to find out as we talk about this more, and I'm also going to be writing an article about this later next week that should be published, 
I, I horribly failed in trying to replicate your strategy. I couldn't have been more different in what I did than what you did. So I guess it'll be a good comparison. But let's just say I'm not exactly happy with how the whole thing unfolded. I do want to give some qualifiers, though. First, there was some shenanigans, I think that's the best way I'll put it, that were going on in this draft. One guy took six running backs within his first six picks. Oh, yeah, he always does that. Yeah, yeah I see that, I see that on, the, on the list now. He was in mine, too. Okay, <laughs> he did the right. same thing. There was also multiple people that consistently waited the entire four hours of the draft clock to make their selection as Very to cool. mess up other people. Yeah, uh, th- like there was, there was just that stuff that was happening, and I don't know – how often? Yeah, you'll see some really cool guys, some of them even in the industry. I won't name them because I would hate for anyone to to be aware of what losers they are. But, uh, yeah, I've seen that, too, where people will deliberately drag out their entire clock time just in case somebody, like, gets arrested or, yeah. or pops an Achilles tendon going down their stairs. Being like, an ass I, is in distress. There's certain yeah, words for those people, but I can't say them. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, well, like I said, being an ass isn't a strategy, and I feel like we were having a little bit of that going on. Anyway, it, that that didn't affect me. I know it. I felt like it affected other people though in this draft, and 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 maybe maybe some of the results went skewed because of that. But my team started out with Derrick Henry and Nick Chubb. I picked number eleven. That was right around the sele- selection spot I wanted uh, in the NFFC format, which this draft takes place. And you're allowed to kind of uh, target where you want in the draft. And I think I had. 12, 11, 10, and 9 is my first four selections. Then I went one and two, especially with the third round reversal. I feel like I can get a lot of really good guys from that spot. And and I did. George Kittle at the third round pick felt pretty good. From those first three selections that I had, though, Mario, what's your take on my draft so far? Well, I love the first two picks, and I probably would have done something pretty – I would have done the same thing, I think. Like I'm looking through the second round. I don't see anything I would have done differently. For me, Derrick Henry is an obvious pick over guys like Kenyon Drake and Josh Jacobs. Kenyon Drake went two picks before yours. Uh, Kenyon Drake was Derrick Henry's backup, people. There, that's There's a reason for that. Uh, Josh Jacobs went to the pick after Henry. I know what I know the basis people have in mind with Josh Jacobs, thinking and, and past outcomes like first round pick running back under the age of 22 with a first year rushing total above this mark historically that has made these are the players who have done it and they see like oh my god earl campbell or something and then they they think josh jacobs is better than nick chubb who you got two picks later josh jacobs has nothing on nick chubb not as a pass catcher not speed not tackle breaking ability not quickness nothing he's worse than him if you pick josh jacobs before chubb you deserve the l you're going to take but there's other picks that are really bad in the second round. And I guess this is in like other – this is in pretty much all drafts going on right now. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire goes way too soon. Even the up, even the upside scenario, like I, I'm okay with chasing upside if the theory, the theory for the upside actually exists. It doesn't for Edwards-Hilaire. He would be hard-pressed to return value at the 15th pick if he for sure started every single game. He might start zero games. I would sooner bet he starts zero games than, I don't know, eight Damian Williams needs to get hurt for Cloud Edwards Hilaire to get onto the field as, as reliably as in like half to be within halfway of the expectations of the, the people who are generally buying him. And this was earlier than most at a looks, looks like 15th overall. So for you to get Derrick Henry after Kenyon Drake and one pick before Josh Jacobs and Nick Chubb, one pick before Clyde Edwards Hilaire, I think that's a really good start. And there's nothing wrong with the Kittle pick in the third round, but you might have noticed that they were waiting on tight ends in this draft. Um, in, in other leagues, you'll generally see Kelsey and Kittle, I want to say go in like the top 18, something like that. 
and and you got Kittle at 26, which is which is a good value. Um, but yeah, in these NFFC drafts, people always wait at tight end, and in in normal NFFC redraft leagues, they always wait on quarterback and tight end. So this league this league format's a little different because of the 35 rounds, and it, it creates a little bit of quarterback inflation relative to the standard NFFC redraft format. Yeah, I was not anticipating such an aggressive take by everybody except for me when it came to quarterback, but I also wasn't anticipating the weight on tight ends. We're going to get to that in a second. I did want to discuss one other pick that I was – quite honestly stunned with and that was miles sanders going five overall oh yeah that's pretty crazy miles sanders five that's the only reason i get derrick henry where i did i was anticipating joe mixon or maybe deciding between julio jones or deandre hopkins maybe a quarterback that was left but miles sanders going five ahead of delvin cook which i got it because the holdout thing happened right right when i started my draft so i can understand why the fade happened but ahead of cook mixon thomas kenyon drake lamar jackson miles sanders went five overall yeah, people are misunderstanding what happened with the Eagles last year, and I understand the numbers basis for selecting Miles Sanders as high as he goes now. And in NFFC drafts, both this best ball format and their redraft formats, Miles Sanders goes higher than, as far as I know, anywhere else in the industry because these are high stakes leagues, and they're they're trying to get into that big championship payout that they have at the, at the, the, the fantasy playoffs here. So they're thinking upside, exclusively upside, just chase the upside. And if, if you follow the premises of Sanders having higher upside because he can catch passes like he did late last year, then it follows that you would give him a higher upside grade than guys like Chubb and Henry who don't really catch passes. And as stated and, and, you know, as lined out like that, that logic makes sense. The problem is the sample that they're basing that logic on is not representative of how the Eagles offense will normally work in at least a few ways. Always, actually, now that I think about it, because there was not only the crisis with the Philadelphia pass defense in that part of the year, basically forcing the Eagles to throw the ball uh, to, to keep pace with these teams who are just you know, landing bombs on them left and right, no problem. You don't get to just grind. You don't get to put the the, the ground game to full effect when that's the playing circumstance. And when that's the playing circumstance, at the same time that all your receivers get hurt and Zach Ertz got hurt too. So there was that. The offensive line was kind of falling apart and Carson Wentz was playing with the yips. So he stopped throwing downfield entirely. It was either going to go to one of the tight ends or it was going to go to Greg Ward or it was going to Miles Sanders or Boston Scott. Not only all that, but they were also running a lot more plays than they normally will. So the Eagles offense is going to run fewer plays than these people are imagining. Miles Sanders will catch fewer of the passes that occur in that sample than they have in mind. And he might also Boston Scott, by the way, I think what's going to happen with this Eagles offense is you're going to see Miles Sanders and Boston Scott playing the, basically the same position. And I think there's going to be a third guy who they go to between the tackles and for short yardage type stuff. And it's it's going to have to be, I guess, Corey Clement or Elijah Holyfield or Michael Warren, the undrafted running back out of Cincinnati, because Miles Sanders and the guys who just look at numbers and, and refuse to learn about football beyond spreadsheets won't notice this, but Miles Sanders still isn't a good runner between the tackles, or at least last year he wasn't. His value was propelled by catching a lot of passes, which the defense never was able to cover because they were always having to deal with Dallas Goddard and especially Zach Ertz. Also helped that they were going against some really bad defenses like Miami, the Giants, Washington, when Washington put forth an NFL Europe defense toward the end of the year with all their injuries. So I understand the theory based on the numbers. I would tell people 
who are who are so eager to pay maximum price for Sanders, though, that they should really reconsider what they think those numbers are and how they happened and whether they, they actually have the conditions to recur in any plausible future, because I don't really think they do. No, I don't either. I, 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 I like the passing attack that the Eagles are putting together. They invest, obviously, heavily in the offseason. I get that. There's a lot of changes. The, the, like For the Eagles to have what they did last year, so many things have to go wrong in order for any of that to be repl- replicatable again. I, I just don't, I'm I'm stunned that Miles Sanders went that high. I mean, I was happy about it because I got Derrick Henry. I don't think that's the case if Sanders goes there. And I, I would have probably not taken Sanders. I would have taken Chubb with my first round pick. So to have him in my second round and Henry in the first felt great. But, I mean, that was – I've seen Sanders go high. I have not seen him go that high before. Yeah, to be to be very uh, clear, I think Sanders is a fine pick around yes. I don't know ninth or tenth, eleventh, twelfth overall stuff like that. But taking him over Mixon, I don't follow that at all, and uh, I don't even consider myself that much of a Mixon fan. Like uh, you know, even as a football player, like I'm obviously not a fan of the person, but. <laughs> Even as far as as a running back, it wasn't like I went into the drafts of mine thinking like, oh, I can't wait to take Joe Mixon uh, just, you know, top five or something. But the gap between Mixon and Sanders for me is pronounced like there's a magnitude in between there for me. Um, and for the re- and for the record, of course, I will, if I'm on the clock, take Nick Chubb over Miles Sanders. I do, But I won't begrudge anyone for taking Sanders over Chubb in that 10 to 12 range. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. So with Derrick Henry, Nick Chubb is my first two picks. I kind of said, all right, let's. We're just going to go for the home run hit every time because if this works yeah. out the way I thought, I, I, you know, it's you get the for, you get the payout through f- uh, three places, but you also get put into a spot where you can be, if you are among those top three scores in your league, the highest score among others. So if that's the case, let's find the best case scenarios the rest of the way, right? I mean, that that logic yeah. makes sense. That's what I tried to do, yeah. And, and yeah, I mean, I I made the same. I can't remember if it was the. It might have been my. No, I think it was my fourth round. Uh, I think I made the same fourth round pick as you. Also, by the way, I made the same Nick Chubb pick as you. I, I got <laughs> I, my only my draft in the first two rounds was only different from yours in that I was Mixon that I got at ten or eleven or whatever, and then I got Chubb in the second round. Um, I took AJ Brown in any case in the fourth round. I think it was, and that's where you took him. Also, yours was late fourth round. Yeah, mine was late fourth round. Also, so um, I think what was different in my case is I had Dak Prescott already in the third round instead of Kittle and Amari Cooper was on the board when I was up in the fourth round and then I didn't take him so maybe I should have paired Cooper with Dak Prescott there but when I looked at Cooper and when I looked at AJ Brown and and I right or wrong I fixated on that biggest upside possible sort of thing without without being like uh you know morbid I kind of thought well I guess you know if Cooper stays healthy all year, he, he can he can do something like 1,400, 1,500 yards, you know, 12, 14 touchdowns. Maybe maybe that would be his best NFL season possible. And then I kind of thought, well, what, if ha- what would happen if the Titans threw the ball 40 times a game? <laughs> right. And I was like, well, I guess, you know, A, they'll never do that. But B, they might have to if, if Derrick Henry weren't available because their second running back is Darrington Evans, who's a rookie. He played at Appalachian State. He's like 5'11". 203 he can't handle even half of what derrick henry does as a workload so basically i was thinking like if derrick henry's off the field aj brown is wide receiver one or two or three or something like that so i went with him over cooper um but yeah that was that was the only way my scenario was different i got chubb in the second round and brown in the fourth as you did yeah the stack became became weird and again i'll I'll outline this more in the article as well uh that i do later next week but i I, so i got aj brown i already have derrick henry I would have loved to get 
Ryan Tannehill to kind of complete this Titans offense stack because I didn't know what else to do. And, and I wasn't going to go the tight end direction route. I, I think there's still a lot of question marks. I know you've detailed uh, the, tit- the, tit- the tight ends, tight end, the Titans tight end. Oh, my God. Wow. Try to say that five times fast. Uh, in your job battles article, and I understood that completely, I just didn't want to go the direction. Like the three guys that were worth it, Tannehill, Henry, and A.J. Brown, I got two of the three out of that group. There was another stack that kind of developed later on in the draft, and I, I guess we'll kind of address it as we get to that point. But overall, through those first five rounds, Derrick Henry, Nick Chubb, George Kittle, A.J. Brown, and then Terry McLaurin, who we kind of just talked about earlier, I felt like I got the guys I wanted. This sixth-round spot, and this is for NFFC, ESPN, ESPN, Yahoo, whatever draft you're doing, I really struggled to figure out what I want to do in the sixth round, and it only made things worse when I had Marquise Brown, James White, Ronald Jones, Stephon Diggs, all go off in succession. That's who I would have wanted to have in each in, in that order, basically too. Uh, and it left me with Darren Waller, so my second tight end through sixth round or through six rounds. I thought I might as well get a flex option, a guy that's going to get me a lot of scoring points. And of course, NFFC it's PPR, so why not? But I think that's where I regret it because I would have much rather had quarterbacks, uh, which became a problem pretty quickly in the draft. Yeah, I mean, looking through your draft order here. I don't see anything wrong with the Waller pick and not not to not to be again morbid but George Kittle does have a pretty long injury history it's like even last year even as he was doing that insane stuff it's like he's doing that with a broken bone in his foot that sounds cool and it's you know it's definitely like gladiator stuff but it's the kind of stuff that's really going to add up if he's older and still getting those same injuries and he already had the same injuries at Iowa too where Granted, they used him wrong. They didn't throw to him as much as they should have. But part of why he never put up big numbers at Iowa is because he was hurt a bunch. So if Kittle's hurt, having a 90-catch tight end to plug into that spot in your lineup at a uh, late six-round cost isn't going to be an issue. And if Waller is, again, a 90-catch player, he'll probably be in your flex spot, like you right. said, just just about, I don't know, at, like, at least half of the time. So you could do a lot worse than that. And... You know, a pick like that. When you're talking late six, Waller's a guy who I think is basically underrated. So, at, as a general policy, I'm I'm usually on board with picking him uh, late six PPR. It's totally fine. And the thing is, you already had running back accounted for. The only way this really could could set you back was like what you were saying, quarterback. And uh, you, you've you've already expressed some concern to me there. But I was honestly, I wasn't as a I wasn't as concerned as, as I expected I would be when, when you when you told me that ahead of time. And um, because, <clears throat> excuse me, as much as Waller, you know, didn't let you take a quarterback there, I wouldn't want to take Josh Allen over Darren Waller. And that's who went the next pick. Carson Wentz and Matt Stafford, Matt Ryan, those are the guys that I would have been thinking about there. Because also in this NFFC scoring, six points per passing touchdown. Yes. So Josh Allen isn't worth as much in this kind of scoring format as certainly not Matt Ryan. And I don't think he'll be worth as much as Carson Wentz or um, uh, Matt Stafford, who who went in the uh, ninth round. So getting Waller and then your I like your seventh round pick a lot. Tyler Boyd, people are underrating. So I, I think getting him there. Uh, he he's he's one of those guys who I just would not be surprised if he provides a sort of top 35 overall PPR return in the event that he you know stays healthy and that Joe Burrow catches on a little bit. But, you know, Justin Jefferson, who you incidentally also picked later on, even though he's not playing with Burrow, uh, Tyler Boyd will play the Justin Jefferson role for Joe Burrow on the Bengals offense. So 
Boyd's good, and he's he's going to be playing a position that the quarterback is inclined to throw to, and I don't know if people have really noticed that yet. I would have loved to have Matt Ryan in the sixth round. That's or like that that turn instead of Darren Waller. If I would have known, we fair had, enough. Yeah, I think it was seven quarterbacks went off the board after I took Waller. Well, so I had Waller, and then immediately went to Boyd. But Josh Allen, Carson Wentz, Matt Ryan, Baker Mayfield, Tom Brady. Drew Brees, Daniel Jones, all went off the board within 24 picks. And and that's where it became, uh-oh, a little bit of a crisis mode. I didn't feel like I, I needed to take a running back because, again, I had Derrick Henry, Nick Chubb. So the next running back I took was round eight, Tariq Cohen. This is the same process I had in our Dynasty League, too, that we drafted over the summer, where I'm going to get these PPR guys that are probably a little bit undervalued that I can just plug and play, especially in a best ball format that can get me on their best days some quality points, but on their worst days, you're either you're still talking about seven or eight points in the worst case scenario that Henry or Chubb gets hurt. And my thought was, if Chubb or Henry get hurt, I'm toast anyway. So might as well find a guy that can really provide the upside. And I think, I, I think, I mean, what, he was probably a a sixth round selection last year, right? When Mitch Trubisky like was still the hot, the hot quarterback around. And I don't know if Cohen gets to that kind of value again. It was already aggressive to me last year, but I don't think, I like Cohen. I just don't think the yeah, I mean, offense could be that, that bad that we saw last year. Well, I think it could be bad. And I don't even know if it would matter that much for Cohen at the price that he's going this year, because it's, it's so odd to me specifically at a time when people are looking for pass catching obsession as a reason to let, like Nick Chubb and Derrick Henry fall to the fourth round. I don't understand why they don't put more of a uh, premium on a guy like Cohen who had a hundred targets last year and the year he obviously had really bad luck. He, had, he just had bad luck last year because the complete offense fell apart and doesn't really matter how good you are. Uh, I guess, unless you're Allen Robinson, good, uh, which, you know, in the eighth round, ninth round, you don't need Tariq Cohen to be an all-star player. You just need him to be the third best pass catcher on the bears, which uh, guess what? After Allen Robinson and Anthony Miller, who both have their own injury histories, they never did anything to replace Taylor Gabriel. Taylor Gabriel played a meaningful role in that offense, and Tariq Cohen quite pertinently has the exact same frame as him. So I think you're going to see Tariq Cohen function as the wide receiver three in that offense in addition to the, the lead ball carrier aside from David Montgomery, who also isn't that good in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on David Montgomery, who was selected around five uh, as part of that uh, six tuplet of running backs that were selected in succession. So kind of moving through the rest of the roster, Tyler Boyd basically locked in the quarterback that I was going to have at this point with Joe Burrow then going around uh, in round nine at the back end. Um, from that point, Aaron Rodgers, Roethlisberger, Jared Goff, Teddy Bridgewater were all accepted. I don't know about you, and maybe you can look at how the rest of this draft unfolded and, and, and mock me, Mario, and that's completely fine. But if I'm going best-case scenario – Mike Williams is the best case scenario over my Titan stack, which meant I didn't get Ryan Tannehill. And he's my wide receiver four, probably uh, talking about Waller as the flex, more like a wide receiver five. But I think he has got some real upside if and when Justin Herbert ends up being quarterback. And I I could not pass that up for the life of me. I really wanted to. I know I needed quarterback, but Mike Williams is just too tantalizing for me this year. Yeah, I mean – Mike Williams is one of those guys I don't really have a strong feeling about just because both him and Keenan Allen, I like them as players and at their prices. I I don't have any negative feelings. Uh, I definitely don't look at the ADP of Keenan Allen and think, oh, he's going to hurt someone as a sixth round pick. If anything, I'm thinking like I, I wish I could buy Keenan Allen at this price. But the only reason that I don't really get guys like him and Mike Williams is because I'm just kind of targeting some other 
part of the draft board and a wide receiver in that fifth round it's like you got to be one of my favorite guys like mclaurin and uh calvin ridley dj tark like if you're not them i'm just not picking you even if i think you're good so i don't really get keenan allen and i don't really get mike williams but even with the worst case projections for tyrod taylor and justin herbert whichever whichever one any person is is more worried about i still feel like they're they're not gonna hurt you at their current prices and it is conceivable you know, it, Tyrell Williams had in his second year in the NFL, like a 1200 yard season as the wide receiver one with the Chargers when Keenan Allen got hurt. So if Keenan Allen gets hurt, Mike Williams might do something like that. And if it happens as a late 10th round pick, that that would obviously be good for your team. So that all seems plausible enough that I, I would never criticize it, even though I probably would have taken Tannehill there. But also that's just because I have a fine tuned paranoia of, of getting sniped uh, in NFFC long waits because they, they do go on positional runs that are a little more, it seemed like borderline mean spirited almost oh, the way yeah. they happen. Cause it's like you do a million mock drafts and you think like, ah, oh, a nice, a nice orderly succession of picks that happen in a rational way. And it's like, you got this guy who takes six running backs in the first six rounds that makes everything weird after yes. that because oh, yeah. everybody is going to be chasing something and you don't know for sure when they'll start and when they start, everyone else is forced to go along with them. And if you're on the long wait, when that happens, uh, it's, it's just, you know, you can get left with nothing. So um, I, I took quarterbacks really high in mind. Like I ended up with Dak Garoppolo and Tannehill. So th- those, that was probably all in the first like 10 rounds or something like that, you know? I think in hindsight, I would have liked to sacrifice one of my receivers, whether it be Tyler Boyd, Mike Williams, and, and Darren Waller. I, I classify in that as well to get a quarterback. But you talk about the mean spirited stuff. I mean, just quarterback 12, or sorry, team 12 took Tannehill right after I took Mike Williams. That was their quarterback three, and they doubled down with quarterback four, the first of any team to have more than three quarterbacks hmm. with Gardner Minshew at number four, which forced my hand to then get my second quarterback at Cam Newton. I took the plunge. And I was looking at our rankings, and it was like, you know, the ADP and NFFC is not showing Cam Newton very high, but somebody is going to take him. So I thought, I think it was quarterback 17. I might as well roll the dice with Cam Newton. But Yeah, you had to. That that set the stage for what ended up being a Patriots stack of sorts, because I got Jared Stidham later on in the draft, and then I followed that directly up with, I think is going to be, if not their top pass catcher, at least 1B in Nikhil Harry, but that's because I'm completely underselling what uh, Julian Edelman's going to do in that offense. So it, it ended up being the weirdest of stacks where I get the Titans guys, Derek Henry and A.J. Brown, and the Patriots guys, I'm going to get the starting quarterback for the Patriots one way or another, and then who I think will be one of the better pass catchers in Harry. Yeah, Harry's so cheap that you don't even really need to, t- to sell yourself on him to, to see that the price is just comfortable like it's just not it's not one of those picks that will hurt even if they go wrong at least at his current price so yeah i like getting hairy i think cam is good for him and i think that uh yeah as, as in general your receivers are fine because you uh you got harry what is that is your wide receiver five so as long as harry's your wide receiver five or less i, I generally he was wouldn't six yeah justin jefferson or six rather five. yeah oh yeah justin jefferson okay yeah. Yeah, by the way justin jefferson I'm concerned about most rookies in the shortened offseason. Me too. He's one of those guys that I'm not, though, because Washington's wide receiver personnel is such trash behind Adam Thielen that if it's not Justin Jefferson who's the wide receiver, too, I would would almost sooner bet on Irv Smith than any of their actual receivers. Yeah, no, I'm right there with you, and I think John actually outlined it pretty well in his – 
uh, his his best bets draft that he did with SiriusXM, where that one guy took all the unders and the rookie receivers, and that was kind of like, a, oh yeah. I, I wish I would do that too as a guy that does a lot of different prop bets as well. Except Jefferson. Except Jefferson. That's the one where I think we end up having the – where we see a rookie receiver kind of step out. So I try to do my mean-spirited um, run of my own. I took the very first defense, and I know you're going to get really upset by this, with the Steelers because it was the back end of the 13th round. So we're, we're, I figured, all right, this is time. This is where Mario had one of his first drafts or defenses go around that spot too. I'm going to go ahead and kickstart. And sure enough, the next guy after took the Ravens defense. Nobody else took another defense until about 30 picks later with the 49ers. So I, it was two full rounds that I was completely off with the defense. And that frustrated me because I felt like I was on the wrong end of being screwed with these quarterback runs. But nobody did. nobody followed suit with the defense at all. That almost happened to me too. I went. I don't remember which round it was, but I remember I took the Ravens as the first defense, and then I went into a long turn before it was my next pick. And luckily, someone took the 49ers, but it was it was something like another. I feel like it was at least at least like 15 picks later before they did. But I was okay with it because uh, I guess I should have mentioned it sooner. In this 35 round format, you want to get I think three team kickers and three defenses just because. You, there are not 36 team kickers and defenses in the NFL. So you can lock in a definite unit of production onto your 35-man roster. And the, the draft spot that you're giving up to take them is players that almost certainly don't matter. Like to, 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 to however much they might give you something, it's minuscule compared to, to the kind of insurance that having three defenses gives you because it's such a volatile category that just having numbers there is, is probably the best way to corner some utility. And so getting those three of each, I think, is actually pretty important in this format. And then you also want at least three, I think, reliable starting quarterbacks because – Again, it's, it's easier to find snaps at running back and receiver at tight end in the 25th round and later than it is at quarterback or kicker or defense. And, you know, of, of course, you say all this and you said all of it in the article, too. And I evidently spit in the face of all that direction. I only took two defenses. I felt better about the kicker conversation. I took the, the Steelers kicker and the Giants kicker. I don't know if I really need a third kicker spot and the way the runs were going, I, I didn't I didn't feel like it was that much of a necessity. But I wish yeah. I would have been more aggressive with defense. That's that's where even with having the Steelers, who were my number one defense, and the Chargers, who are very close to top ten for me, even having a third one to take away points from somebody else would have been the direction I would have had to do strategy wise. But I ended up having two different rounds autoed uh, because there is a switch. I think at the twenty first round from four hour drafting to two hours, and of course it yeah. fell right at uh, right around bedtime for me, which is like a you know eleven ten eleven o'clock. I didn't even see it, didn't even anticipate it, and by that point I was already gone. So Larry Fitzgerald and Tyrell Williams were two guys that got auto to me. I'm, I mean, it's it's okay, but I would have much rather had. Uh, I think Ito Smith went around that direction too, which I was really pissed about because I wanted to have him, but I also would have went another defense in that spot instead of having both those guys. So that kind of bit me in the butt a little bit. Yeah, that's unfortunate, but I mean, it, it, as much as I was talking about, you know, getting that third kicker, that third defense, it's it's not so much that I'm getting excited about what that third defense or third kicker can do. It's just that if I have to think about taking the the structural advantage of always having uh, the third defense in my corner, and it's the difference the difference between having that not is is me taking like Anthony Ferkser, then yeah, I guess I'll I'll pay for the the third defense even if I think it's trash just because it's like you go thirty five rounds and it you know you 
I certainly thought something to the effect of like, oh, this is going to be easy. I'm going to know so many players that these guys don't. And yet even I at the end was kind of like, oh, man, I don't know. I don't even know. There were placeholders that I was considering using because the actual list of names ran out of guys that I was going to pick. So, yeah, there's a few players they didn't have in their database at the time. I'm assuming they've added them since then. But, yeah, I was I was prepared to have to do the thing where you call the moderator and say, like, by the way, this is a placeholder. Please note. We had somebody call the moderator because they were upset about the switch from four hour to two hour, and it happened on my pick. So I don't know why that person thought they were more or less entitled to whining about it than me, but I was just content saying, all right, I I messed up. Here it is. And we had that happen. But that was the only instance where that occurred throughout the rest of the draft, despite all the shenanigans that really did occur. So yeah, so two defenses, two kickers. What does that mean I went aggressive on? Well, it ended up being wide receiver because I felt like that was the best value. Uh, I had another auto pick with Demarcus Robinson, which I wasn't excited about, but I did get Equinemius St. Brown, um, who I thought you would be most proud of me taking uh, only because... Well, I mean, I think it's better It's better than a lot of picks that happened in that range because, yeah, I mean, as much as I like Alan Lazard and as much as I like Devin Funchess, I mean, people are acting like St. Brown doesn't exist, exactly. but I think there's a reason to believe he's better than Valles, Scantling, and uh, Kumaro or whatever else. Well, he definitely is better as Kumaro, and as somebody that was incredibly high in MVS last year, uh, let's just say I, I've been let down by him. So it was, it was kind of doubling down on the wide receivers that could get me some points, and then a few running backs as well, Bryce Love, Mike Boone, Brian Hill, I hope to God none of them end up playing. But if they do, and even if it's just one week as the starter, you're talking about 15 to 20 points of production that you're getting in rounds 24 through 27. I know most people aren't going to care about this depth, this level of analysis for some of these best ball leagues, but I thought it was a good exercise and really just to kind of see where I valued those rounds three through, three, three through 10 in particular for when we do stake league and Vegas league drafts and some of these other higher echelon in comparison to my other uh, my other colleagues, that was the fun part to me. Did you did you feel like you had any other takeaways from your draft um, other than let's go ahead and get the kickers and quarterbacks? Unlike my dumb. <laughs> no, it was that wasn't um, honestly my main strategy. The main thing I tried to keep in my head the whole time was just paranoia about. <laughs> what could happen what could go wrong while i'm waiting between my picks like that was the thing i thought about i didn't even necessarily chase my favorite picks like i didn't take dak when i did because i was so sure it was the right idea it was more just i thought how bad can this quarterback run go before i'm on the clock again cuz i took him after kyler murray like kyler murray went like five or six picks before i took dak the answer was no one took another quarterback for like another round or something so i wasn't quite right but i don't know I, if i can get a good player in that draft at one of those 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 positions where they can really bite you for being in the wrong side of a positional run. I tried to account for that. And then once I got my foundation accounted for where I felt like I could pick with impunity, that's when I really started, you know, targeting my guys, I guess. You've done more just drafts. I've done a few best ball drafts. You've been, you've done more drafts period than I have. Have you felt like the, there are more runs whether it be a quarterback, running back, receiver, whatever, than in past seasons, just because of the shortened seat or not the short. Not season. really. This is this is like the, the a thing specific to this one game okay. format because the thirty-five round dynamic and the team kicker dynamic, the team defense being included, the six point per passing touchdowns being included. It's it's just one of those things. Like it's harder to find those running back, receiver, tight ends or it's easier to find those running back wide receiver tight end snaps really late than it is the quarterback defense and kicker. So there's just, there's that, 
I, I had just kind of like a certain pessimism when I was looking at that second pick at the turn of the round. And I had to think like, what's going to happen in between now and then. And in this particular format, the quarterbacks especially can, can go wrong on you because if, if you're, if you're not accounting for kind of some worst case scenarios, guys like these have a way of kind of putting you in it. Uh, so you, you have to take it seriously with each pick. And uh, like I said, though, once, once I got like one thing covered, one base covered, I kind of felt more free to to uh, kind of ignore whatever I was worried about and, and focus more on getting the guys that I wanted. And NFFC high stakes leagues in general, you got to be prepared for things just going some way that you're not expecting because these are people who, you know, it's higher dollars. They're, they're either about to get washed out of the game because they never win or they win for a reason. Yeah, you're right. And and for someone that participated in his first Rotowire Championship NFFC contest last year, this felt like it was a good jump into what I would call is an absurdity. And and then there's absurdities that happen all the time in the NFFC. That's not a negative. I just like people do weird things, but you need to practice for them. I think you see these weird things sometimes in the mock drafts, but it's not an actionable weird thing. You don't I don't know how to explain it. Maybe you have the words better than I do. But that's Well, it's just I think it's but these upside themed things and these people who handle large amounts of money to, to, to play these hands, like they get good at, you know, correctly seeing, correctly anticipating where an abnormal action is most likely to pay off in some way. And so they, and they also know crucially that like you, you can only profit so much by sticking to the market trends. Like you at some point need to violently diverge from, the general market developments if you want to have the mathematical possibility of, of distinguishing yourself as like top one percent even if you go into it knowing full well that you know the odds of risk occurring are actually higher as you go that way yeah yeah i, I it's, and it's hard to do it because it's like you're, you're looking at your responsible math thing on your you know sheet or whatever where you did some projections and it's like that just doesn't really it doesn't compute. matter as much it's not the reason why guys lose as much in formats like this it's more just because like these are also people most likely to find the highest scores that just theoretically weren't anticipated by most people. Yeah. I would recommend these NFFC leagues to a lot of different people. There there aren't as large a buy-ins as Mari and I are talking about, and certainly there are even higher ones. There are some smaller ones, but I do think it gives you a good idea of how to zig when people are zagging, and I know that happens in a friends and family league too, maybe not to the extent that we see in these NFFC formats, but they really are a good practice and a good barometer for what I saw from most of last year. And I was pretty heavy in doing best ball drafts in the NFFC uh, and, and that led up to some of the other drafts I did there. I, I like I like what they have to do. And of course, the six points per passing touchdown makes quarterbacks a little bit more vi- uh, valuable. But for the most part, it's good practice for the leagues that matter to you. And if you're listening to this podcast, you're likely trying to prepare in some way or some capacity for leagues that matter to you. Yeah, if you go into NFFC, I would just say if you're doing this 35 round best ball, know that quarterbacks running uh, quarterbacks, kickers, defenses, they won't behave the way they do in other drafts. Also, tight ends will go later in that format. Tight ends will go later also in the redraft uh, NFFC. But I would say in the redraft NFFC, the quarterbacks tend to get punted more often. Like it, it you will never see people. Uh, as a draft room punt in the 35 round best ball, you will see guys try to go cheap at quarterback more often, I think in the redraft because there, there isn't that rounds 
21 through 35 where you can just pad your running back receiver tight end bench like you need you need to pay up in nffc redraft to get the high returns at those positions whereas in this 35 round best ball uh you can make a pick like you did joe in the third to last round ola made zacchaeus and you know wide receiver four is just fine i will be 100 percent honest and say the only reason i took him was because he that that's that's the only reason why and, and i'm comfortable saying that and hopefully uh listeners out there if you are thinking about participating in this draft you can use my article which i'll have out next week as a resource to not do things that i do because i, I was not happy with the quarterback spot which you dudes take the case though yeah takes the case <laughs> no if you're going to copy one thing copy the thing that i copied from somebody that's smarter than me and mario uh you can also check no. out his article where he kind of breaks down a little bit more with the a trio of quarterbacks that were actually good and a trio of kicker uh, well although the titans kicker i know you and john or yeah you and john kind well, of joe how about this <laughs> one person who was in my draft vlad sudler uh, you, you might recognize yes, the yes. name very very uniquely successful high stakes player and he actually took an approach that was pretty similar to yours i think he i don't think he got cam newton but he took a he did. He did something where he had a quarter he took four quarterbacks i remember so it was it was like your team in that sense and uh, he, he he more so punted at quarterback than than uh, some of the people in the league. So uh, there's there's not it's not as if there's no basis for that. And for all I know, it, all this zigging that we talk about, where, where you know these high stakes guys zig, where where the where the normal people like us just uh, go ahead with the rest of the go ahead with the rest of the fish. Um, for all I know, it could have been your approach that constitutes that in this particular year. So we'll we'll see. Don't don't uh, don't count yourself out yet. No one knows anything. I'm pretty good at counting myself out. I'm 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 comfortable saying that, especially when I was looking at the rest of the quarterbacks. But if my name is in association with Vlad, then I actually feel a little bit better about my strategy. So thank you. That's the best compliment you could have gave me today, Mario. Yeah, no problem. And I'm not lying. That's <laughs> that's actually happened. Oh well, good. Uh, that's that's great. I you know, like I said, I feel actually strangely a little bit better about that. Vlad's a great player and uh, a good friend of Rotowire too. He's been yeah. he's been uh, really really passionately uh, for a lot of the newer writers here and uh, guys like myself. So it's been great to kind of see him and uh, you know patter a lot of my style off it. Um, all right, cool. Well, that does it for us on the Rotowire NFL podcast. Of course, sponsored by Dynasty Owner. Uh, any any final words before we head out? Uh, no, uh, just always draft Zacchaeus in that, uh, 32nd round or whatever it is. He's the great value, the great unknown value is Zacchaeus there. That's, that's fantastic. All right, cool. Well, hopefully you and John, uh, will be back next week. And I know the RotoWire NFL podcast domain is going to be expanded a little bit coming up shortly where we're going to have podcasts out every day. I know I did that with, uh, Jake Latarski every Tuesday where he broke down the free agent guys that were pickups and it was a lot of fun throughout the year. So I I'm, I'm looking forward to getting that started up again. Yeah. Those of you who are sick of hearing this jug band sinus of mine can, can finally listen four days a week at least. <laughs> there we go. There we go. All right. On to next week. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. 
Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.